Uh, you betcha on a Thursday. It is Thursday, March the 4th, and a very busy Thursday afternoon ahead. First of all, Ontario reporting 994 new COVID cases today. As the city's top doc, Dr. Eileen Davila, has now asked that Toronto be put into gray lockdown next week. Now, what does that mean exactly? We're going to try to figure that out because uh, I'm sure you're confused. I'm confused. Most of us are are confused. But apparently, gray lockdown means non-essential retail business in the city will finally get their wish and be allowed to open with limited capacity. And we're also hearing that perhaps, just perhaps, the vaccine timeline might get bumped up uh, in the province, that most people in Ontario will have access to the vaccine by midsummer now, we're hearing. Anyways, more on that in uh, Christine Elliott, the health minister. She's expected to speak next hour. We're going to drop into that press conference as it happens to see if we get uh, any comments, any clues as to what we can expect, particularly for Toronto and Peel region uh, next week. Will that wish be granted? Will we be put into a gray, gray lockdown? Anyways, we will listen into the health minister and her comments and reporters' uh, questions uh, coming up again in our next hour. In the meantime, Air Canada with some long-awaited good news for its customers. And with more on that, here is our travel expert, Marty Firestone. He joins us first up here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Marty, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, what is it exactly that Air Canada, Marty, is now promising customers? Well, this indeed is, is good news. They basically, for whatever deal was cut with the government about a bailout, they are now going to, and how they're going to do it is logistically a nightmare, maybe, but they are now going to give you back refunds for the current credit and vouchers you are holding. So this is, this is huge. All right, because you and I have talked about this time and time again throughout this pandemic. Up until now, up until this announcement, all you could get were those credits or refunds. Right, and who's kidding who? They're worthless, A, because you weren't able to travel, albeit there wasn't necessarily an expiry that you had to, but travel in the near future looks distant at best. And who's kidding who? People need the money. So if you have 800 tied up in a voucher, now you get $800 back. That, that buys food. So, I mean, it is important. And I guess the government stood, stood their ground here and said, you give refunds, then we'll do the bailout. And I suspect the bailout will far outweigh the refunds. And that's part of the reason why this is all happening. All right. Wanted to ask you about that. Why now? Why all of a sudden is Air Canada giving uh, customers their money back? This is all tied to some sort of bailout? Absolutely. So let's say billions were owed, and I'm just throwing a number out, were owed in refunds, then maybe more than that is coming back in the form of a bailout. So it just had to be, including that they put some regional routes back in place also, because that was another uh, scenario that the government wanted to ensure that people would still have routes that they would cut back on. So it's quite evident the two are linked together. Not knowing the details, we can only surmise at this point. All right. So are we expecting other airlines then to follow suit, do you think, Marty? Oh, I would think not far behind. Again, they're going to look for the bailout, too. And I guess the conditions are you give your clients back the or your travelers back money, we'll give you a bailout. And again, this is all just an assumption, but I believe that works hand in hand. All right. Just how easy you mentioned a second ago that this could be a logistical nightmare. And uh, listen, we're getting used to that. Uh, you and I have talked in the past a few weeks about the logistical nightmare of travelers coming back to Canada, trying to book one of these quarantine hotels. How easy, how difficult do you think it's going to be for customers to get their money back? Uh, it'll be a nightmare if it has to be calling on the phone. That is no way to make this work. 
I would hope that there would be a website. I would hope you'd be able to put in your name and your credit voucher number and then simply say, issue the refund or keep it as a voucher. I can't imagine anybody that would keep it as a voucher. But how is this going to work and how many people are potentially uh, subject to this scenario? That's going to be their problem to work out. But this is not going to happen tomorrow. You are not going to get your refund in the bank by the weekend. This, This is nothing imminent. and I can't see it happening at all. Yeah, why is it? Why does it take so long? I don't even know if you've got the answer to this, Marty, but it seems to me in this day and age when we do everything electronically, including our our banking, you're right. It should be as easy as going to a website saying, uh, this is my credit or my uh, voucher. I'd like to turn this in for cash, and then it just deposit into your account. Yeah, so the answer's got to be that for whatever reason, the government is saying, I told you not to travel, and nothing's easy now when you come back, including having to stay in a hotel, including having to sit on a phone for three hours and be hung up on and call back again, and including having uh, your cost of hotel go from what you thought was 350 a night to, in some cases, as we read in a recent article, $3,800 a woman had to pay for a three-day stay because she had a brother and a daughter in the room. So with three in the room, it all of a sudden jumped to $1,000 a night. It's, it's just... It's just bizarre that this is all going on right now. Yeah, do you think there's any long-term damage being done here to some of these airlines and their brand, Air Canada or others, the fact that it's taken so long and it's taken until now for travelers to have this option to get their money back? Do you think people are going to be more cautious moving forward? Or do you think, uh, you know, once the vaccine finally arrives, we get needles into arms, people feel safe once again, there's just going to be such a pent-up demand for travel, this will all just be a distant memory? I think people have short memories, and quite frankly, if you can get back on that plane again because we're all good again and there's no cases, you will fly Air Canada more than you ever flew it before. That I don't see as a problem. All right. want to also ask you here while we've got you this afternoon, Marty, about this offer from uh, Qantas. Let's go from uh, Air Canada to Australia's airline, uh, Qantas, because they're offering kind of a unique experience to get travelers back on airplanes. Uh, This is kind of like mystery travel? you got to give them A for creativity. I couldn't believe it when I read it. I mean, they are basically offering an opportunity to get on the plane in the morning. You don't know where you're flying to, and they're taking you to some destination within Australia, of course, and they're landing, and then you're having a gourmet lunch or seeing some sightseeing and then get back on the plane and come home the same day. Is it a smart idea? I don't know. It's like you're putting 120 people on a plane that, God forbid, if one of them had COVID, you could be a super spreader. So, I I don't know what's happening, but it definitely leads to the idea of are we going to have vaccine passports one day, even when things return to normal? Because who would want to be on a plane with someone that was not vaccinated, even in this crazy idea they've come up with? All right. But, you know, setting that aside for a second, what do you think travelers are going to uh, feel like? Do you think this is something that's going to catch on an idea that uh, basically you just get on a plane and you got no idea where you're going? But maybe that's half the fun. No. (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to work in Canada. I, could you see getting on a plane right now to just, just just be taken to a spot that you have no idea where you're going and then you don't know the person sitting next to you if they've got COVID? I mean, no. I think this is a, a crazy idea uh, and they've even shut off international travel to June in Australia. So they're saying, we don't think it's safe for you to travel, but we're going to take you on this mystery flight. I guess it's just a great marketing idea and power to the people if they're going to get on the plane and go on this little mystery flight. Who knows? Well, I guess this is part of the idea, right, is to get people to dip their toe back into the water as it uh, were when it comes to travel? Yeah, I guess, and, and get them back on the planes. And it's also to help the the uh, sites that they're traveling them to and the food and the restaurant associations and all that that they go to when they go to that mystery land, wherever it is. So it's an attempt, I guess, 
to, to get us back to some normalcy again. A little strange, but it's an attempt, no doubt. All right. Our travel expert, Marty Firestone, with us on this Thursday afternoon. Marty, appreciate it as always. Thanks so much. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. Okay, we're just talking about the vaccine. The vaccine timetable might be bumped up to midsummer instead of September. For everybody who wants a vaccine, it will be available and the vaccine supply increasing. And when it comes to getting needles into arms, there's news today that some Ontario pharmacies will actually start offering the vaccine as part of a pilot project. And for more on this, we're joined now by Justin Bates. He's with the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and he joins us here on Global News Radio. Justin, good afternoon. Appreciate the time. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. All right. Can you give us some uh, details as to this uh, pilot project? Uh, what exactly is this going to look like? Well, we're very pleased to announce that we will be, uh, on a limited basis, rolling out the vaccine in three regions starting as early as next week. Um, we're going to focus in on the AstraZeneca vaccine. And as uh, has been reported, there is an expiration date for this vaccine and the first shipments that arrived uh, yesterday. And for the shipments that will arrive next week. So there's a, a real urgency to mobilize this quickly and get shots in arms before it expires at the end of uh, March. All right. Is the AstraZeneca one make the most sense? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it is the one that does not need that deep freeze like Pfizer. It certainly is less complex from a distribution and storage perspective. It is more closely uh, aligned with what the uh, regular flu vaccine is uh, on a seasonal basis. So we're certainly equipped with the infrastructure and all of the resources and technology to be able to uh, operationalize this and uh, give patients more choice and access. All right. Is this very similar then to the flu shot, uh, for lack of a better comparison? Is that going to be the experience for people who come into their uh, local uh, pharmacy to get a uh, COVID uh, vaccine that it's uh, essentially like the flu shot? Well, there are similarities, but there are also uh, several significant differences in, in terms of, obviously, this one needs a second dose. So there's the adherence to that and follow-up. The education on the vaccine is also different. And we'll be interfacing with a provincial system called COVAX-ON for the reporting and documentation, uh, which is something we don't do right now for the flu. Um, so there will be some differences, but the overall experience will be very similar to what patients and residents in the province uh, experience during this flu season. You'll likely have to book an appointment um, and schedule it uh, with the pharmacy. Some may still offer uh, some degree of uh, walk-in on demand, um, uh, you know, for convenience of patients. But uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, from a patient perspective, it won't be a huge difference. All right. I asked that, Justin, because I think some people are wondering why this is a pilot project. If we're trying to get as many needles into as many arms as quickly as possible, why not just open this up to uh, all pharmacies, all neighborhood pharmacies? Well, that is the plan. Uh, it will be available to all pharmacies once uh, supply uh, reaches a level where we can uh, make sure that all the pharmacies have enough supply to meet the demand. What we don't want to do is have all pharmacies open and not have enough supply. That would uh, create a lot of challenges and inconveniences. And I would call this more of a limited rollout than a pilot. And we've already gone through a tabletop exercise. We have an extensive uh, playbook on all of the operational elements and what we need to do to implement this. So we're ready to go. And all of that experience is from the previous vaccine uh, program that we've been involved in with the flu and travel will uh, certainly lend itself well to this exercise. 
All right, you mentioned uh, three regions for this uh, project or this uh, limited uh, rollout. Uh, what are they and why were they chosen? That's right. Uh, so we're going to start with Toronto, Kingston area, and Windsor-Essex. And the, the reason we're starting with those three uh, is that we know that the vaccine plans were advanced in those three more so than a lot of other uh, public health units. And we're rolling that up into more of a central plan to have this limited uh, launch next week and we're looking at approximately 380 stores that will uh, be proportional to each of those three regions all right and you will have to book the appointment uh, ahead of time this isn't just a case where you can uh, come in wander into your uh, pharmacy and uh, look for or ask for a covid uh, vaccine yeah i think for this start most pharmacies will utilize their booking systems each one has a slightly different technology and uh, some will also offer a hybrid model of walk-in, but I think initially most will uh, move to that appointment-based model. Could you see uh, eventually this rolling out, uh, as you mentioned, uh, that's the plan to uh, many and all uh, pharmacies uh, right across uh, the province and uh, perhaps our uh, pharmacy becoming sort of our go-to for the uh, vaccine? Is that kind of the plan and what's been talked about uh, with the government? Is that the hope uh, eventually? Well, we do think it's important to leverage our footprint of 4,600 pharmacies to give more access and convenience and choice to patients. I do see this as being complementary to the public health uh, mass immunization clinics and the mobile pop-up sites that they're establishing, as well as primary care physicians. I think we all need to be involved in this uh, to ensure that every Ontarian that wants the vaccine will get one. But in an ideal world, absolutely. If the supply allows, we can do 46 vaccinations per pharmacy per day. And that amounts to over a million per week. And we think that's going to be an important part of building the capacity so that we can get as many people vaccinated uh, before the end of the year as possible and protect public health and keep our economy open. You bet. Uh, Justin, just finally, what is the major challenge for pharmacies in delivering the uh, COVID vaccine? Well, I think just learning the uh, interfacing with the COVAX Ontario system and uh, reporting in that um, and certainly making sure we have all of the supplies and, uh, um, you know, certainly the vaccine itself. That's that's going to be the biggest rate limiting factor. We need to make sure that we have the supply matching the demand patterns. All right. And Toronto, Kingston, Windsor, Windsor as you mentioned, the three regions. Is there an official start date for this uh, project? Well, we are targeting uh, as early as Tuesday, and we're going to start the onboarding process and selecting the pharmacies, which is now underway. So it might be uh, in a couple of waves to get them all uh, ready to go, but uh, certainly we're, we're very close, and uh, it's a great milestone. All right, Justin Bates with the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Justin, really appreciate the information and the update and for joining us here this afternoon. Thanks for having me on. All right, be well. Ah, Kings of Leon, love that band. And they got a brand new album coming out tomorrow, and it's going to mark a bit of a first for the music industry. And with details, here is music expert, our good friend Eric Alper joins us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Eric, good afternoon. Sure, man. Let's just discuss the new world order in less than 12 minutes. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's confuse everybody with what is going to go on and try to break it down because this this could change everything when it comes to entertainment all right well let's uh, figure this out the new album is called when you see yourself but it's the way you can purchase it and in the way it's being distributed which is just so revolutionary yeah 
everybody who wants a copy of the record can go to Jeff MacArthur's house. And he's going to have No. Okay. So it is going to be sold through cryptocurrency, but it is a different kind, but kind of similar. It's called NFT, which is a non-fungible token. They've become the first band to ever do so, which means that they will now have complete control over the way that the music is not only going to be consumed, but they can actually have once in a lifetime artwork, T-shirts, merchandise, prizes like tours, um, uh, tickets to concerts. And not only do they get to dictate the price, but every time that that item is resold, the artist gets a piece of that as well. And because it's cryptocurrency, you and I could buy this album for, say, $50 tomorrow. But next week, that same cryptocurrency might be worth $1,000, which means that if I want to give it to somebody and make money, they have to now pay me $1,000. So that's the short end of it. It's kind of like operating as cryptocurrency, but they're taking it to the next level with creating so many different ways to interact with the band and show just how big of a fan you are. Okay, so as part of this, uh, the band, and there's so many bands that are fighting uh, streaming and the fact that they don't feel as if they're justly compensated for the amount of uh, streams that their music uh, gets, that this kind of puts control back into the artist's hands? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also not just the amount of money that, you know, these music streaming services are paying these artists, but it's also the ownership and where the record labels and how long they take, you know, in a, in a normal world that you and I understand um, the people behind crypto's ability to circumvent banking headaches are the same as record labels. How come it takes six months for an artist to get paid for a song that was downloaded tomorrow? Or how can the record label end up making in, you know, getting the interest rates, having all that money in the bank while they sort out hundreds of thousands of pages of contracts when cryptocurrency it's immediate you can see right away up to the second how much it's worth who used it the amount of information in real time that cryptocurrency has given us is such a positive to the artists who i think are tired of large entertainment industries falling behind in the way that information travels all right, so that's great news for the artist, but what about me as a fan or the consumer? Because when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, Eric, I've got a very limited understanding, which is code for none. And <laughs> I don't know, I don't have access to Bitcoin. So if I'm a Kings of Leon fan and I just want to listen to their album tomorrow, I want to buy the uh, album, can I just pay for it? Yeah, it's going to be available in two weeks at the regular places like regular retail stores and music streaming services. But for the time being, this is how you can have your all access pass earlier. So it's not really going to be for the casual fan. I think it's a way to release some exclusivity when it comes to the merchandise. In fact, you know, uh, last week, the artist Grimes released one-of-a-kind artwork that sold for somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple of hundred thousand dollars in a matter of minutes because it was only available to people who understood the cryptocurrency, but also those really hardcore fans that don't mind having that little badge of honor. You know who it's perfect for? Taylor Swift. She's absolutely looking at this tomorrow saying, well, how can I make sure that my top 100 fans around the world pay what they want to pay 
for the stuff that they want. Why should a concert ticket only be, you know, $100? Let's let the market bear out how much it's worth. And that's exactly what cryptocurrency is proving. Okay, because Kings of Leon, then, they're not just exactly selling you the album. You can, you can buy that and stream that uh, if you want, but if you want to pay uh, in cryptocurrency and certain levels, you're kind of buying more of an experience. It's not just the album, but uh, also, from what I understand, a chance at, like, uh, front row seats, uh, when and if we can all go back to concerts, that's, that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, there's three items that are up for bids. Uh, the first one is the regular album, and the second one is a... Um, it's a, a pack of four concert tickets for life whenever they come to your city. And not only that, but they give you a limo and a chauffeur and a, a pretty much your own roadies for the night that will take care of anything that you need in the concert venue. And then there's also moving album artwork that contain logos, exclusive photos with the band that um, are going to be, I think, one of five um album artworks that are going to be available so it's a pretty weird thing it's like getting the golden ticket in the willy wonka days yeah but okay is this a great idea for bands like kings of leon and you mentioned uh, taylor swift that have already got built-in fan bases that uh, they've worked hard to, to build and achieve you know over a very long career i mean is this something that really applies to or is going to work for emerging artists do you think yeah i do because you know the, the goal of the internet when it first started way back when was something called the long tail. It was going to be that a lot of people were going to buy a little of something. And it actually turned out to be that way, that, you know, books and movies and TVs and albums, you know, you could just want to have a lot of people spending $5 and those $5 adds up. But what the industry sometimes forgot is that those super fans, those one-tenth of one percent fans who travel around the world to go see a band, they're paying the same amount of money as somebody else in that city for the same experience. So why not try to, you know, for lack of a better term, exploit them and give them what they want at the price that they're willing to pay for. And that idea isn't really a rare one. In fact, there are a number of artists that when they tour, the first row of every concert isn't available. It's done secretly through maybe a special auction. And sometimes people pay ten dollars or $15,000 for those seats. So, you know, it's a little bit of like a yes we're all equal but we're really not so is there any doubt that this is the future this is the way the music industry and entertainment in general do you think is going or is this just kings of leon kind of sticking their toe in and everybody gonna watch and see what happens there's a number of independent artists that you and i would never know that are selling their cassette tapes of the one-of-a-kind album for anywhere between $200 and $1,000 on cryptocurrency. I think the problem is, I think people have to understand what cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is, and I think we're at least another decade away. I really do. I think it's a great idea. I don't even understand it a whole lot, and I'm kind of figuring all this stuff out um, as it happens. So, I think for the average person, it's going to be quite a while until people start to use it on a regular basis. Well, you know, Eric, I think in the last 10, 11 minutes, you've done a great job of really breaking it down, but my head still hurts. <laughs> I, I've got a wicked headache, man. I think I'm going to buy something that I don't have to use cryptocurrency to take care of. <laughs> Eric, pleasure as always. Stay well. Great. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Music expert Eric Elper with us.
Okay, March is Fraud Prevention Month, and sadly, we've seen a real spike in COVID-related fraud and scams. And joining us now for more on this is Tony Anscombe. He's Chief Security Officer at ESET Internet Security, and Tony joins us now here on Global News Radio. Tony, nice to have you on. Uh, great to be here, Jeff. All right, I want to start uh, with uh, these offers that we're seeing more and more when it comes to uh, COVID and COVID uh, websites. Uh, there's offers for people to kind of jump to the front of the line for the vaccine. Absolutely. Cyber criminals are using uh, the topical uh, vaccine and COVID scams and uh, to try and dupe us out of our money or our data and our identity. Yeah, and how exactly uh, are they doing that? Are they just, uh, is this a bit of a phishing scam? Are they just reaching out to people? Because uh, there, there's so many of us that, uh, you know, want the vaccine or waiting for the vaccine. Uh, yeah, and we all want to be at the front of the queue, of course, don't we? We're all hoping that we're next in line. And uh, that, unfortunately, is the fear they're playing on. What they're doing is offering the either a fake vaccine or offering to put us in the front of the line in some way for a payment. Now, of course, you know, the payment is a direct monetization for them or they're trying to get you to register and telling you they've got some way that they can get you to the front of the line and taking your identity because you know, when we're talking about medical treatment, you're probably willing to give up significant, amount, significant amounts of your personal information to actually book that appointment. All right, and it's not only those that are reaching out by email, but there are several uh, kind of fake COVID websites that people should be aware of, too? There are. I mean, emails, as you mentioned, phishing, websites. Uh, but not only that, uh, they're also using texts and calls. So they, they're even reverting back to voice. And you've also uh, had uh, reports, uh, this is earlier on in the pandemic, I mean, this is just not something that has uh, popped up as the uh, vaccine uh, has arrived uh, here in Canada, but uh, fraudsters were actually, in the early days, Tony, they were using the CERB uh, payments uh, as a way of scamming people? Um, I'm Sorry, could you say that again, Jeff? Sorry, I missed that. Oh, no worries. Uh, yeah, not only uh, is, are these uh, COVID uh, frauds based around the vaccine, but early on in the pandemic, there were reports of uh, fraudsters using uh, the emergency relief benefit, the CERB payment the government uh, was offering to scam people. Yes, unfortunately, the bad, you know, bad actors, cyber criminals, will leverage whatever they can at that moment in time. So yeah, early on in that pandemic, we saw them offering toilet rolls and face masks and other PPE. Uh, and then when government started offering payments to businesses or individuals uh, that are being furloughed or, or having financial issues, then of course they try those fraud, uh, that fraud as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm sure we're not seeing the end of this, and I'm sure they will, they will uh, manipulate their campaigns to whatever is in the news and whatever they think we are willing to click on at any moment in time. Yeah, is it safe to say, uh, Tony, whether it's COVID or anything else, uh, fraudsters, are they more sophisticated than ever? They are becoming more sophisticated, and actually the campaigns, the websites, and the phishing emails look more and more real as time goes on. It's becoming harder to actually spot them. And of course, they can even personalize them, as pretty much all of us as consumers now have been part of some data breach. If they can actually turn and say, you know, dear Jeff, and know something about you in how they're trying to dupe you, then they'll use that data against you in trying to trick you into giving up data or money.
All right. So uh, what are your best pieces of advice? What's the best defense uh, for people who guard against this sort of fraud? Well, firstly, on the COVID vaccine thing, you're unlikely to get to the front of, front of the line. If you're in doubt, contact your primary health care provider the, you know, it, or, or the agent, the government agency that's actually administering vaccines. So anything else in email is probably likely to be false, fake and trying to dupe you in some way. But as in more general fraud, yeah, I take a pretty good rule here of if something lands in my inbox, I, I don't trust it. Even if it looks legitimate, I will go directly to the website of the company that I think may have sent it. So if it comes from my bank, I go directly to my bank's website, I sign on to the account, and I look for the message there. If it's not there, then what landed in my inbox doesn't get actioned. Is it easier than ever to kind of do your due diligence on uh, some of this because of the uh, internet, that uh, really it's just kind of a Google search or two away uh, when you try to verify something? Well, you can, of course, try and ver yeah, uh, search on what's in the email and see whether other people are reporting this as a scam. But like I say, go back to the source. I think that's a, a really good piece of advice. Go back to the source of where you think it may have come from uh, or where you suspect it should have come from. So if it's a retail establishment, if it's a bank, you know, go directly to the website and don't click the link in the email. And never open attachments that are in the emails if you, unless you were expecting it from a trusted source. And the old adage, if it uh, seems too good to be true, it probably is, is a good one to live by? Um, typically in life, yes. And nothing, nobody gives you anything typically for free either. Uh, and one thing I would say, of course, have cybersecurity software on your device. Yeah, because the technology will actually block a lot of phishing links and, of course, will block malware entering the device as well. Yeah, and just finally, Tony, as March is Fraud Prevention Month here in Canada, I mean, the sad truth is that uh, fraudsters, uh, they prey on uh, people's uh, fears and their anxiety. And uh, obviously, when it comes to uh, things like uh, money, jobs right now, and your health, the, the vaccine, uh, there's plenty of that, uh, you know, fear and anxiety out there in the air right now. Yes, and they'll even play on our emotions as well, not just our fears, but our emotions. So, for example, romance scams are a big issue as well. So if you're on online dating platforms and somebody you've never met is trying to get you to send them money, then that's, that's not, not right, and they shouldn't be doing it, and it's probably a fraud. All right, some uh, good reminders from uh, Tony Anscombe, Chief Security Officer at ESET Internet Security here, March Fraud Prevention Month. Tony, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. And that does it for my time here on this Thursday. Thanks, as always, for yours. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Have a great rest of the day.